Psalm 90 in your Bible or in your bulletin, and I believe it'll also be on the screen for you. As you turn there, um, this psalm made me think this week of the famous quote from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Um, it's in your bulletin, but I'll, I'll read it for you, and I'll explain it for those of you who are not nerds like me. Uh, here's, here's the quote in The Fellowship of the Ring. Frodo said, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf, the wizard, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. You see, Frodo was a hobbit, a little guy from a small place who was living a quiet life until the most powerful ring in the world came into his possession. That was the it that Frodo wished had not happened in his time. Little Frodo was called on a giant quest like no other. His mission was to destroy that powerful ring by throwing it into the fires of Mordor, and by doing so, he would save the world. And so he said, I wish this hadn't happened in my time. And his friend, the wizard, said, all you need to do is to decide what to do with the time is given you, that's been given you. I think about that because I think of Moses feeling those same feelings. Um, and as we read this prayer of Moses, I wonder if he could relate to Frodo because Moses was called by God not to carry a ring and then destroy it in a fire to save the world, but Moses was called to carry a people, um, to carry a people in order to rescue them so that one day out of them would come the king who would save the world but he was still called to carry a heavy burden. It was the work God had established for his hands. And like Frodo, Moses often wondered why he had to be the one to carry the burden he'd been given. And if you read the story of Moses, you can almost hear him say to God on several occasions, I wish this didn't have to happen in my time. Why am I, why am I the guy, Lord? And in a way... God answered, but this is not for you to decide, Moses. All you need to decide is what to do with the time you've been given. And so, we'll read the prayer of this man who's been considering the question, what do I do with the time I've been given? And if you'll stand with me, I'll read Psalm 90, and we'll consider that question for him and for us. Now, hear the word of the Lord of the God the word of the God who loves you from Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. 
for a thousand years in your sight are but, are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days. They get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray as you're seating, as you're being seated. Father, we come and ask that you would Open our eyes and our hearts uh, to understand your word, to uh, consider this question with Moses of what we're to do with the days you've given us. Uh, Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Encourage us um, by the good news about Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You know, it, it is a question we're, we're all trying to answer in one way or another, and um, perhaps you're like Frodo and Moses and me, and you wonder, these are such difficult days. Sometimes your life feels so heavy. Why have I been chosen to see such times? Why have I been given the particular burdens that I carry? What am I supposed to do with the time I've been given? There's a lot about death in this psalm, a lot about days, a lot about time. And it would be easy for those of us among us who are young to read about death and time and days and say, well, this is not something I need to worry about right now. I've got plenty of those ahead of me. Death is a long way away. But I want to remind my young friends um, this morning, um, the first church I ever served in, we buried a 17-year-old who was days away from his 18th birthday. He was just driving his car down 27 was in a coma for a week. In the last church I served, I watched a little 14-year-old girl take her last breath due to complications of the flu. 
So if you're young in here this morning or out there listening, it, you would do well to number your days and to listen to what Moses has to say about what to do with your days. And it might be easy for those of us who are on the other spectrum, on the other end of life, to say, well, I've already lived mine. I don't have that many left to live, really. What do I have to worry about? But, but Moses actually was at the end of his life when he prayed this prayer. And uh, I think the question is still valid for those of us who are uh, feeling the days begin to shorten. And I include myself in that. Um, what am I to do with the days I have that I have left? Moses, as I said, is likely at the end of his life, and um, some scholars believe that perhaps he prayed this prayer after the events of Numbers chapter 20, where Moses recorded the death of his sister Miriam. He recorded the death of his brother Aaron, uh, and that death came at the judgment of God because in that same chapter, Moses recorded how he and Aaron sinned against God when the people were grumbling and wanting water, uh, Moses, having gone through this with these complaining, griping people again and again and again, uh, in his frustration, and his anger, he, instead of speaking to the rock, as the Lord told him to, he struck it twice. The water came out in God's grace, but God said, you and Aaron have disobeyed. You're not going into the promised land. So, so Moses is reflecting on these things. He's reflecting on the brevity of life. He's reflecting on uh, his own sin as a man who's walked with God for almost 120 years, and here he sins again. Um, what am I to do with the days God has given me? And what am I to do with the ways that I have not done well with the days God has given me. And so in this prayer, we're going to see Moses answer three questions. Who is God? Who are we? And what does that mean for how I live every day? So let's look at those together as we walk through Psalm 90 together. Who is God? Moses will answer that question for us. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses knows that in order to understand what he's to do with the time he's been given, he needs to understand the timeless God. God is infinite. God is forever he was before anything was created, and he'll be there after. He, he says that God has been the dwelling place of his people in generation after generation, but generation after generation is swallowed up in everlasting from everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. God is big and infinite. He is forever, but he's also faithful. He's the dwelling place. He's the refuge. Moses had to have been considering all the places he had lived. Forty years in Egypt, living in the lap of luxury as a son of Pharaoh. 
and then 40 years in the desert and Midian, living as a lowly shepherd, dealing with dirty sheep. And then the last 40 years of his life, not really having a dwelling place as they pitched tent from one place to another. Whenever God lifted the cloud and moved, they all had to pack up and move. And yet, he knows that God has been faithful throughout all the various dwelling places he had. God is his dwelling place. That's what he knows about God. And there's more to that that we'll, we'll come to in a moment. But then he goes on and he answers this second question, who are we? It's important for us to know who we are if we are to know what we're to do with the time we've been given. And so he goes on and in verses Three through six, he says to God, you return man to dust and say, return, O children, children of man. So uh, men and women and boys and girls are like boomerangs that God throws out and they go the circle and they come back to him. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. It's just nothing. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning and in the morning it flourishes and is renewed and in the evening it fades and withers. I've watched flowers in my yard do that this summer. They're, they're all happy and, and standing up straight and glad after a good rain, but by the end of a sunny day, they're drooping again. That's what life is like because we, Moses knows, are finite frail, feeble, frail children of dust and feeble as frail, we sang earlier. Then he goes on in verses 7 to 10, and he says, we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a Sigh, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. There's, there's more to us than just being finite creatures. We are fallen creatures. We're fallen creatures. We, we're brought to an end by God's anger and his wrath. All of our sins and iniquities, even though they're secret, they're, they're clear to him. They're lit up in the light of his presence. He knows that we're not just feeble, frail creations. We are fallen creatures who have failed him. And then in verses 11 and 12, it gets even worse. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you, God? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We're not just finite creatures who have fallen. We are foolish. We, we don't even want to consider that we are finite creatures who have fallen. We don't want to think about the accountability we have to the God who has given us the days that we have. We're foolish. We need wisdom. 
the, the Proverbs say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom and of wisdom, and Moses is saying, we don't have that fear. We're fools. We foolishly wish away the idea that there's a God to whom we're accountable, who will one day execute his wrath upon sinners like us. So God is forever. We're not. We're accountable to him. We have failed him. We are under his wrath. How's that going to help me live out my days, Pastor? Happy Sunday, everybody. Are you, are you ready to go? Let's end right here and let's go have lunch. Moses doesn't stop there. Because there's more that we need to understand so that we know how to live the days we've been given. Moses gets it too. He feels the weight of his frailty and his failures, and it makes him cry out for pity in verse 13. He says, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. We're at your mercy, God, because we're feeble, we're frail, and we've failed you, and we deserve your wrath. And then... Here is what Moses says should be the top priority for how you spend your day. Here's the top priority. He gets very practical here. God is infinite and eternal. We've been given 70 or 80 years. How do I do this every day? Moses drills it all right down to verse 14. What do I do this morning? I pray Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That's what I do with my days. I seek to be satisfied in the steadfast love of my God, who is my refuge, who is my dwelling place. You see, because Moses knew the story of this steadfast love. Actually, Moses wrote the story of this steadfast love in the first five books of the Old Testament, otherwise we wouldn't have it. Moses wrote about creation in Genesis 1 and 2. He wrote about how we are finite creatures who have been graciously made to live in fellowship with this infinite God. Moses wrote in Genesis chapter 3 and described the effects all through to chapter 11 about this fallenness that we all have that our first parents fell, in them we have fallen and we fail and we deserve, like them, the death and the decay that's the result of sin that entered into the world. Moses, in this prayer, is just reflecting back on the story. We are creatures, we are fallen creatures. We were designed to live in enjoyment of the steadfast love of our God, but we rejected it like a, a, an adulterous wife leaves her loving husband or like a 
wayward son leaves his loving father, we, we stiff-armed God and said, no, I don't want it. And we left him. And yet this God, the rest of the Bible is the, the last act of the drama. It's redemption. And so Moses begins to describe it in the rest of Genesis and the rest of the five books of the Pentateuch. He's describing the covenant love of God, the faithful, promise-keeping love that God has for his people. He said it in Genesis 3.15 when he said, Look, snake, I'm going to put enmity between you and this woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and her offspring will be a man whose heel you will bruise as he crushes your head. Even that early on, Moses gave us a glimpse of the gospel. And so Moses knew when he was writing all these things, he knew that God was going to do this because God promised in his covenant love for his people that he would rescue them. He would pity them in their fallen, frail condition. Moses wrote of the Passover lamb whose blood would protect us from the death we deserve. Moses wrote of the tabernacle in the wilderness where God's presence walked along with the people through the wilderness. The dwelling place of God dwelt with the people of God in the center of the camp. Moses was picturing for us all that we know about Jesus. And because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, We know the fullness of that story. We know the fullness of that steadfast love that satisfies us. We know that Jesus was given a burden to carry. Jesus was given a people to carry. And Jesus was given days and years to carry them. The infinite God wrapped himself in finite flesh. The timeless God entered into time and bore for us our abuse of the time we've been given. That's Jesus. Listen to how Paul said it in Acts chapter 17. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, or, uh, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, Sounds like what Moses was praying about. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. But then God's, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God has overlooked, Paul said. But now, Jesus having come, God commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on, when he will, on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. That's Jesus. And of this, he's given assurance to all of us 
by raising Jesus from the dead. God knew that we would waste his time. So he sent his Jesus into time so that we might be restored to relationship with him. And so now because of Jesus, we can pray what Moses prayed in verse 14. God, satisfy us in the love you have for us in Jesus. Satisfy us in that covenant love that this book tells the story about. Lord, satisfy us every morning. Make make the love of Jesus the most important meal of the day for us, Lord. Let us be Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus and hears him say, look, in my word, here's the whole story of all of my great steadfast love for you. Let us be like Mary and know that the one thing that is necessary, the good portion, is to know and be satisfied with the love of God in Christ Jesus for us. And God, may a taste of your love for us in Jesus ruin our taste for every other God we run after today. We can pray, verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Because of Jesus, we can pray, Lord, gladness in you outweighs every day of affliction we've ever had. Gladness in you outweighs every year of evil we've experienced. We have hope, Lord God, that as your servant Paul said, our present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that awaits. In fact, our present suffering is producing for us a weight of glory, a weight that will tip the scale of all the suffering and evil and affliction we've experienced in this life. And this, this glory and this love that we will experience in Jesus is eternal, it's forever 80 to 100 years of horrible pain and affliction and the guilt of our own sin and the consequences of our own sins and the lives of others compared with the eternal weight of glory, of being made new in Christ and living with him forever. There's no comparison, Paul says. It outweighs it all. And so we can pray, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we've seen evil, because we know he's going to do that. Because of Jesus, we can pray, verse 16, Lord, let your work be shown to your servants. I'll stop there. Lord, let your work be shown to your servants. What work? The work of his steadfast love, the work of how he expressed his love for us in Christ. And God promises, yes, I'll show you that work. I'll show you my love in Christ Jesus. Here, here are what we call the means of grace. Here's my word. I'll show you my work here. Get in this, hear this, live this, love this. I'll show you my work in worship. Come, listen, gather with my people and hear throughout the whole liturgy of what we do every Sunday. 
hear the work of Jesus because of the love God has for you. I'll show you my work. I'll show you my work in this table. I'll show you my work in the baptism of those who come to Jesus for the first time and those who belong to Jesus' people, the little children. I'll show you my work. I'll show you my work in your fellowship with one another because my word will dwell among you as God's people. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, I'll show you my work of love in Jesus. And he goes on and says, let your glorious power be shown to their children. Friends, we need to pray this prayer, that the glorious power of God as he worked it in Christ, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his current uh, reign at the right hand of God the Father right now. We need to pray that the glorious power of Jesus would be shown to our children. We pray it because he promises he'll do it. And then we become the answer to those prayers by bringing them to the means of grace, by telling them the story about Jesus, by showing them the table of Jesus, by participating in the worship of Jesus, by fellowshipping with the people of Jesus. We can do that and know that God will show his glorious power to our children as we do those things. He promised. We can pray verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We can pray, God, let your grace and your favor be on us as we do the work you've established our hands to do. As we carry the burdens you've asked us to carry in the places you've put us, God, give us your grace. God, give us your grace. Because from what Moses has said, we may deserve to carry what God has given us throughout the days he's given us under his wrath. That's what verse 9 says. Days pass away under your wrath. We deserve to carry whatever we've been given to carry under his wrath, but we don't have to. Because of Jesus, we've been given his grace. Because of the steadfast love of God for us and Jesus, we live our days and we carry these burdens. We do the work that's been given and put into our hands to do, we do it under his gracious kindness and favor for us. And so when I fail as a father, when I fail as a pastor, when I fail as a friend, when I fail as a husband, to carry the burden that God has given me to carry for the sake of these people, I can know that I'm falling and stumbling and carrying some days carrying it well under the grace and favor of the Father. Because when he looks at me, he sees the perfect work of the hands of his son. When he looks at me, he sees the perfect work of the hands of his son when he touched the leper, though he was unclean, when he healed the sick, when he calmed the sea, when he calmed the heart of a woman who had lost her son when he welcomed sinners into his embrace, and then when he stretched out his hands on the cross and received the nails that paid for my failure to use my hands the way Jesus does. 
when he stretched out his hands and said, see my scars, Thomas? I'm alive, and everything I've done for you counts because my father raised me from the dead. When he reached his hands out to Peter who had denied him, and he said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Because Jesus has done what the Father has put into his hands in my place, in your place, we can do our best to do the work that God has established for us and our hands, knowing that he loves us and that he's for us. So, What do we do with the days we've been given? You can pray like Moses because of Jesus. You can pray that God would satisfy your heart in the steadfast love love of Jesus for you. You can pray with hope in the promise that eternal glory will one day outweigh your temporary trouble. You can pray and rest in the grace that God has shown to you and to your children and your grandchildren in God's word, in worship, in the sacraments, in fellowship, in prayer. And you can pray knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus as you keep on carrying out the work he's given you to do, serving the people he's given you to serve in the place that he's put you. We can do all these things through Christ, who is our dwelling place. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for for this prayer, for this model prayer of Moses, who in all of his failures and all of the failures of others against him learned that you never fail, that you are faithful, and that he can rest in you, his refuge, his dwelling place. And he was looking forward to Christ who made all that story come true, all those promises come true. We look back at this table to what Christ has done to make us know that our number one priority every day is to be satisfied in your steadfast love. And we fail at that too. We fail to satisfy ourselves in you, Jesus, but you keep coming back. You keep offering yourself as bread and wine for hungry and thirsty people like us. We thank you. We praise you. Help us now to come and to feed on you by faith and with thanksgiving. In Christ's name I pray, amen.